Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he loves to give me grief and no, I'm not talking about the new card from Modern Horizons 2. It's Matt Morgan. You know, Joey, I, I finally had to come to peace this weekend with a, a hard fact to accept. Um, I think cremation might be my last chance for a smoking hot body. <laughs> Oh, don't discount yourself right it's, now, I, man. The ice cream is just too strong with me. <laughs> That's pretty darn great. <laughs> Next, he can't help but point out that the art on the card Subtlety, which contains a huge animated tidal wave, doesn't seem to actually be all that subtle after all. It's Dana Roach. Um, Modern Horizons 2 has done a really nice job branching out, I think. Um, usually these kind of sets have good green cards that could have been white, but this time we got good green and black and blue cards that could have been white. So it's they really kind of expanded the space. And I appreciate that. Fair enough, Dana. Some um, some foreshadowing for stuff we'll be discussing in this episode is what it sounds like. <laughs> anyway, sounds like. this this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all that data a little more context. Dana, what is it that we're talking about in this episode? Modern Horizons 2, of course. <laughs> that we are um, taking a look at some of those, but it's a pretty big set, all things considered, so we won't be tackling all of it at once. We are actually going to spend a little bit of time with some of the commanders from the set and then the white, the blue and the black cards. And we'll get to the rest of the set in a future episode because there is a lot happening on the horizon. So it seems. Eh? Eh? Matt, does that, it's, is that a good joke? Approval? It, no? The horizontal no, it, it, it was a joke. Yeah, it was. It was a joke. Yes. Factually, <laughs> it was a joke. <laughs> I, I can tell by how much you were laughing. Anyway, real quick before we get to our main topic here, before we start talking about all those modern Horizon-y cards, let's take a brief moment to thank the folks at the Command Zone who handle all the post-production work on our podcast, making it look as awesome as it does. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors. They are TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on Idiotrek or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash Idiotrek, and that shows your support for the show. And you can also head over to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, where we have all sorts of patron-exclusive perks. We have a patron-exclusive altar sleeve that you can pick up. Um, it's yes. pretty awesome, but you have to be a patron to get it. So make sure you head over to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast for all of those exclusive content pieces. It's finally here. We're so happy to announce it. It's really good. It's real handsome. Real cool art by Ryan Peneff from the CCO podcast. Really, really happy with it. So go to patreon.com slash EDHRecCast, and you can get one for yourself. It's so cool. Yep, and it's pretty pretty awesome and uh, make sure actually just for submitting um, we have patron exclusive shout outs too so Jeremy Hughes thank you so much for being a patron we definitely appreciate the support um, and welcome on board so yeah thank you very much thank you so much Jeremy you can also find us every Wednesday night at 9 Eastern 6 Pacific uh, at twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast streaming some sweet spell table EDH and we'll be joined this week by Nelson from Loading Ready Run Ooh. Those, those friendly Canadians are coming down and uh, going to jam some <laughs> curd beard, eh? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let's get this back on the road. <laughs> All right. Let's get to our main topic. We're just going to dive right in here talking about Modern Horizons 2. Specifically, we aren't going to be necessarily comprehensive about it because there's a lot going on in the set. So we will be missing some of the legends, but the ones that we've picked out to discuss here are the ones that we think when we take a look back in like a year will be the most popular commanders from this set, the ones that we're going to remember this set for having. So we'll discuss 
discuss a handful of those first off. Um, guys, I guess we're just going to get straight into it. Matt, I have a question for you. What what's Do that? you like squirrels? Um, I don't mind them. Chipmunks cannot stand, but squirrels, not, not, not so bad, yeah. Okay, well, then in that case, I'll have Dana tell us a little bit about the, the squirrel commander, since you seem to be kind of kind of wishy washy on this fine. subject. They're fine. They they store a lot of nuts. So, uh, Chatterfang, squirrel general for two and a green. It's a three three legendary creature, squirrel warrior with forest walk, and it says if one or more tokens would be created under your control, those tokens plus that many one one green squirrel creature tokens are created instead. And for a single black mana, you can sacrifice X squirrels and target creature gets plus X minus X until end of turn. So it's the uh, squirrel commander everyone always wanted, although I don't, don't think anyone thought it would be in Golgari, but but here we are. I think they might have because the uncard Acornelia kind of hinted at, I think, this color combination from the unset. I, I suppose, yeah. Something like that. But as a as the resident Golgari player here, I will say this commander seems kind of busted. I know that everyone's really, really excited to do a bunch of squirrel stuff and making a, a squirrel tribal deck seems pretty awesome, especially when your commander is basically a parallel lives, just tacking on a bunch of extra squirrel tokens. So there's a bunch of squirrel stuff that you can put in here. You've got your deranged hermits and your deep forest hermits and a bunch of other squirrel token producing cards. But that's not all that this card is up to because it also kind of goes pseudo infinite with cards like Pitiless Plunderer, which makes tokens whenever your creatures die. So you can literally just sacrifice a squirrel to the Chatterfang to use its ability and then Pitiless Plunderer will make a treasure for you, which will then resupply you with another squirrel because of Chatterfang's ability. That's, if you'll forgive the pun, that's nuts. Well, and I think we missed the most important part of Chatterfang here that uh, he does also have Forest Walk. So he's a very, very Voltron-y commander. That's what I'm going to be doing with him. Just turn him sideways. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's kind of crazy. Chatterfang, um, yes, like Joseph mentioned, um, has the combo potential there. So if that's what you're trying to do, you have just a very, very powerful Golgari commander, but also there were people that actually were looking for some sort of squirrel tribal, and this set is just chock full of these these squirrel synergies. So you have the commander to go with it too. Like it, it's kind of a win win. Um, it's probably going to be one of the most po popular commanders, just because there's going to be so many different people that are trying to do so many different things. Yeah, I do think the meme value or just the the weird cute factor of having a squirrel commander is the true sell. There's a lot of stuff that combos these days, and there's probably easier ways to do it. That's the kind of deck you want to build. I think the true draw here is perhaps doing that with squirrels. Um, <laughs> but I, but that, that's that's two things that are attractive, right? It's a goofy meme deck and it's probably pretty good as well. So yeah. that's going to guarantee it does see quite a bit of play, I'm sure. Yeah. I think another thing that folks will most likely end up paying attention to here is the ways that they're able to pump up all of these 1-1 creatures, because usually green is in the business of like overwhelming stampeding stuff and like making stuff bigger equal to what's already big on your field. But here you'll probably end up going more for the Beastmaster Ascension route, or you'll just end up with a whole bunch of Zulaport cutthroat effects to combo up with those different like types of pseudo going infinites <laughs> that we mentioned earlier. So a lot to like here, whether you're playing tribal or you're going squirrel aristocrats. Yeah, I tried coining that, Josie. Don't <laughs> don't steal that from me. That was my tweet, not yours. Quit trying to make fetch happen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How about you tell us about the next commander then, Matt? Who's the next most popular one that we think might come from this set? Well, so Usri Fortune's Flame is the uh, new is it or Prismari, depending on uh, what plane you're on. Um, the blue and red color combination. Um, 
It's a legendary Ifrit uh, for one, a blue and a red for a two, three. Um, has flying and a lot more text here. So whenever you three Fortune's Flame attacks, choose a number between one and five. You flip that many coins. For each flip you win, you draw a card. And for each flip you lose, you three deals two damage to you. If you won five flips this way, you may cast spells from your hand this turn without paying their mana cost. So... If you like flipping coins, like a certain guest that we had on twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast, uh, you've got some new additions. Watch out. Wait, are, are you saying that Gavin Verhey maybe likes the coin flipping thing? Because we've already seen him do that with his Indra Split and No Count deck. And I'm just saying maybe he's a little biased with the creation of this legendary creature. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't in those meetings. Yeah, I, I think it's a cool commander. I think the one problem is there's another commander and there's the same exact color group that does a super similar thing. So it's going to be fighting for decks with something else that's not necessarily better or worse. Um, that always kind of hurts the commander in terms of how widely it's adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, but people like doing this kind of weird, goofy chaos stuff, so it's going to get built for sure. Any reason to play Krark's Thumb, though, I think is probably the kind of thing that players are really into. Krark himself did also manage to become one of the standout partners from Commander Legends as well. So I think this is the kind of thing that players are, especially in the mood for it, the current commander building zeitgeist, maybe. And, and potentially, there's a way that this type of deck might have a slightly different shape than the typical Zindersplit and Okan. Like, the ways that they're able to flip coins and draw a bunch of cards from one commander and pump up the other one they can do some pretty insane stuff just by pumping up one creature but this one i think we might have a bit more like built around the card chance encounter which if you flip enough coins can potentially just win you the game outright which is maybe more dubious in cinder split and okan but could be easier to orchestrate in this type of deck and one thing worth noting too is if you do give this commander lifelink probably with some kind of an artifact that does do a lot to mitigate the life you're going to lose when you uh, lose a few coin flips. That is a really good idea. Like putting a shadow spear on this thing. Mm-hmm. So every time it attacks, you just have the potential upside of drawing cards. I'm, I'm really here for that. I will not be shocked to see a bunch of those all over this commander's page. Well, let's move on. I, I don't know if either of you two noticed, um, but we did have a new Selesnia commander. So we're, we're going to talk about this. It's it's kind of required in my contract that we get to do this. So um, Sithis Harvest Hand is a green and a white for a legendary nymph creature. Uh, It's a one, two. And whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you gain one life and draw a card. Um, It is an enchantress among enchantresses uh, for only two mana. That's kind of like the wild part about this. Man, I this is bonkers. This is absolutely bonkers. <laughs> this card took a look at Tuvasa's once per turn restriction and was just like, move aside. This thing's insane. And laughed in Tuvasa's face. I will disagree. I think this is a fairly this this will be a fairly underplayed commander that's not particularly good. I think Karametra does things with the lands. Um, it makes for a different deck. I think something like Tuvasa that you mentioned has the advantage of protecting itself in blue. I think like Sigarda protects itself with Hexproof if you want to use that for your Aura Commander. If you want to go straight power, Siona is going to do a better job just being a strength engine. I think this is a recipe to get two for one or three for one the second you put any Auras on it. Um, I think it's fantastic in the 99 of those four or five better Commanders. But I think as a commander, you are going to routinely get burned when you try to do anything with it other than have it be your enchantress. And if it's just being your enchantress, you're going to struggle finding a way to reliably draw creatures that you can suit up that are going to be able to punch through and deal lethal damage to anybody. 
I, I think you're assuming this is an aura commander, and I don't think that's right. Like, Karametra is casting creatures, so Karametra isn't, like, naturally an enchantress deck anyways. Like, I this card is absolutely silly. Like, you're, you're going to be playing some... You're not playing auras. You're playing, like, Mana Bloom for zero to cantrip and then just draw some cards. And- but you still need a way to win a game. I just think that there's five commanders that you can do similar things with that win games much easier than this ever will. I, I, man, this is Enchantment Tiova. Like, gain a life and draw a card every time you play one of these things. If you use an effect like Flickering Ward, which is an enchantment that can return itself to the hand to play over and over and over again, this is an engine. Like, the Enchantresses in an Enchantress deck are the biggest engine in any deck. But we already have a, we already have a dozen Enchantresses in those colors. You're going to draw one anyway. Um, you're in green. That's not guaranteed. You're in green, so you have all the tutors in the world to pick up creatures as well. It's just, it, it's as someone who's played a lot of Enchantress, it's just not a problem getting your engine online. You are much, you, you need a way to win games way more than you need an engine because engines are easy to get a hold of nowadays. I, with a card draw source in my command zone, it will be easy for to, me to find my All That Glitters or my Ancestral Mask in the 99. And then you will just have your creatures. commander immediately removed when you try to suit it up because it has no way to protect itself. I, you, but you're you're not suiting this you're not suiting your commander up like if you put like one hexproof creature on the board and just go to town like then just put a hexproof creature in the command zone it's just so much easier i'm i'm I'm, i this is just a bad cigar to deck i think you are insane sir you are wow i i the all-timers i I, I will test it but i'm telling you like just even in like messing around and playtesting with my cigar to deck this is just a way worse commander than cigar is Um, by a large this guy i'm happy for you this guy we're gonna have some comments part? about this okay. part. We're gonna have some comments about right. this part of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, card draw engine. I feel like this is fantabulous. I will definitely sign on though, Dana. Like this slots into so many decks that it's silly. Like this will show up in the ninety-nine all over the place. But as the lead of its own deck, it is sculpting out. I think a very, very powerful place among that pantheon. Pun kind of intended there. It's absolutely going to be one of the one of the top five enchantress commanders in white and green. <laughs> <laughs> this guy all right i think we just need to uh move on hopefully listeners we've given you a handful of ideas there um but let us know what you think for sure let's go now to the five color commander from this set which is named garth one eye so he costs one mana of every color he is a five five human wizard and he can tap to do one of the strangest things we've ever seen in the game choose a card name that hasn't already been chosen from among disenchant which destroys artifacts and enchantments brain geyser which is a draw x spell terror which destroys destroys creatures, Shivan Dragon, which we all know and love, big 5-5 dragon with flying, Regrowth, which gets you stuff back from your graveyard, and Black Lotus, which is, you know, Black Lotus. You create a copy of that card with the chosen name, and then you cast the copy. So this can tap to create an iconic magic card right there. Just make a token of it, of whatever the, the, the creature or the permanent happens to be, or just cast one of those spells. You can only do it once each, but that is a really strange ability, and almost immediately, players have found out how to break it with a bunch of cool combos. Well, yeah, it, heaven forbid, those, those five-color commanders people set out to break, so <laughs> color me shocked. Completely shocked. 
Right. The, the idea here being that if he's able to get haste so they can tap right away, and if you're able to blink him with something like, for example, a Deadeye Navigator, he can choose new objects, uh, choose the same object every time he comes in because he is a new game object. So he can be blinked, then come back in, make a Black Lotus, which you can crack for mana, then blink him again, and you can do that all over again and get infinite mana. And then he has the ability to draw you a bunch of cards by using the Brain Geyser effect. And from there, you can basically do anything at all. So this probably ends up kind of relegated to the combo engine machine as commanders go, but what a fascinating ability regardless. Yeah, it's a super cool throwback design that um, looks fantastic on the card and in reality will probably be the same game every time you see it, unfortunately. Yeah, as soon as you said Deadeye Navigator, like <laughs> a lot of people are going to stop paying attention like I did. Like, yes, yeah, so it's cool that, you know, people found a way to break it. But like, I don't know, maybe I, I think commanders are more fun when you don't try to break them and just play them. So I, I don't know. Like, yes, it's just another five color commander that goes infinite. Like Kenrith already was doing that. Many commanders were already doing that. So, yeah, hey, th- this is a, a, a much cooler commander if Black Lotus wasn't an option, at least for me. Um, it's also a much more powerful commander with Black Lotus as an option. So yeah, six one half dozen of the other. I, I feel like the the real sin there is actually the brain geyser. I think that Black Lotus being an option is the cool part of this card, actually. But that's that's just me. Regardless, like this is not the type of thing that has to be done as combo. But be aware that the stuff that you'll see on its page most likely will reflect combo potential. And so if you are trying to do something else with this commander, that it will require a little bit of extra digging. But that's the fun part of deck building. Uh, let's round it out with one more commander here. Dana, talk to us about the Simic offering from this set. And the last commander that we think will probably rank among the top five from uh, Modern Horizons. We have Lunas Cryptozoologist for um, a green and a blue for a one-two, a snake elf scout bowler plumber. (laughs) Um, Whenever another non-token creature enters battlefield under your control, you investigate. So investigate is a mechanic from the Shadows over Innistrad block where you create a um, token artifact that you can spend two mana to sacrifice to draw a card. It has an ability here that's 14 lines of text, I swear. You can tap it to sacrifice X clues and target opponent reveals the top X cards of their library. And you may put a non-land permanent card with mana value X or less from among them onto the battlefield under your control. (sighs) And that player puts the rest in the bottom of their library in a random order. So it's a clue commander. It's the clue commander we never got back in the day, and we have one now. Well, and and for people that are curious, like Dana pointed out, this is the first legendary plumber we have in Magic. So, oh yeah, right, correct. It has it. It beat the Mario and Luigi secret layer by a couple months. Okay. <laughs> to clarify, for anyone who's just listening and can't see the card, it, Dana is tacking on extra uh, creature types to this card because that is what the Simic loves to do. <laughs> so, all right. So yes, we do have a clue commander, and obviously the go-to's for a commander like this will be. You know, your tireless trackers, your Tamio's journal, confirm suspicions, a cool counterspell that also will create clues for you. So, a bunch of clue token creating cards here. But the thing that I think is most interesting is the way that you can take advantage of how many artifacts this commander is actually able to get you. Well, and, and you are in colors that allow you to do doubling season esque stuff with the tokens you make. So, um, it's going to be pretty easy to make a ton of clues here to dig down pretty deep in someone's library and find some pretty spicy things. Yep. Yeah. It, there, there's lots of ways that never really got a chance to shine um, from being able to make clues. So seeing all of them kind of get concentrated, uh, it, it is nice that it has to be a non-token creature. So you can't like Avenger Zendikar for 50 and yes. um, get out of hand with this. So uh, I, I like that there's, it's it's very, very powerful as, as Simic is one to do, um, but 
it doesn't get completely out of hand without a little more work than the typical like AZ Tyrant of Gyre Straits type of commander Tatiova. So it is nice to see like a, a powerful commander that isn't just accidentally insanely broken. Right. You have to take some extra steps here yourself. But again, there is like quite a cool reward, I think, happening for those extra steps. For example, if you use an artifact like Inspiring Statuary, that will allow you to use the clues for mana if you want them to. Or you can even destroy all of your own clues with a card like Rampage of the Clans to turn them all into bodies if you'd prefer. Or a personal favorite is that if you've got a lot of clues, you can slap the enchantment mechanized production onto one of them. And then you could potentially just win the game by having like eight or more clues because they're all artifacts that share the same name. And that's a lot of really tricky stuff, tricky artifact stuff that we don't usually associate with green and blue. Yeah, um, like like Matt said too, it, I think that's just the, the, the perfect summary is it's an interesting, strong commander in Simic that isn't broken. And that's always good to see. And like Simic loves to do, if you pair this with Seedborn Muse, you can use that activated ability multiple times a turn to steal a bunch of stuff from other players. So Seedborn Muse is pretty good, they say. Yeah, th- thankfully, it's, it's a fairly limited resource that you have to sacrifice X clues. Um, so yeah, you want to make sure you're managing your resources. I don't think it's going to be completely nuts um with seedborn muse unless like you find some way to and and people will because it's simic um but making like extraordinarily large amounts of clues they won't be clueless like uh the the 90s classic Wow. Deep cut. I like that one, Matt. Okay, so those are the commanders that we expect will rise to the top of the ranks here. But let's also take a quick moment to discuss if there are any other personal favorites that we have. Dana, I know that you are apparently a hater on Selesne Enchantress, but is there a commander in this set that did kind of spark your interest, even if it may not end up as one of the more popular ones? Um, I, I think Zavaz, the Glimmer Wasp, is hilarious. Um, it's not good, I don't think. Um, it's, it's, the, okay. it's the one mana insect um, with modular. Um it's a modular commander. I think that's a fun design space. Uh, unfortunately, there's not a ton of modular creatures, so you're just going to be running all of them basically in the deck. Um, it's also in Boros, which is tends to be kind of the weakest color combination as well. Um, so there's a lot going against it, but I, I think it's got really sweet art. I think modular is a fantastic mechanic, and I think it's the kind of commander where when you win a game, you're going to feel like you earned that. You had to figure out how to make that deck work and do your stuff, and you deserve the W when you actually take it. So I think that's a neat commander. I'm a fan of it. All right. How about you, Matt? Um, well, I mean, there's lots of big green legendary creatures, so I automatically perked my ears up. Um, Throta Tempest Roar is just a massive dragon that gets cheaper as you know the more spells you cast that turn um trample over planeswalkers it's the first time we've seen this and like it's pretty interesting like a lot of times planeswalkers can go unchecked and and it's kind of a you know planeswalkers are kind of a fog almost because the people have to attack them instead of you as the player so seeing that i i i'm interested and then like ava eva ave whatever you want to say like there's a another legendary ooze in the set uh that gets out of hand so fast. Right, that one's got Storm, and the Storm copies will be non-legendary, and each one of them gets bigger for each of the others that you've cast. That one also does strike me as being potentially a little bit insane. Like, green is going into Storm as a potential strategy here, and the payoffs are enormous. Yeah, I'm a little concerned. Like, Storm's always been a real safe mechanic in the past, but now it's in green, so who knows? Maybe it's going to be super good. We'll see. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Storm cards are always just a a very safe design. (laughs) Right, right. What could possibly go wrong? 
Indeed. And and I think also we probably, th- this is one that I personally anticipated might be among the top five, but I don't know if meme potential will necessarily carry it there. So it might end up being like the sixth most popular or who knows where it could fall really. But as Marinica, Marduk, Dyson, Akoldakar, we also have to shout out here just because listeners are dying to hear us say that name. I, I, like This is an interesting potential discard deck and food themed deck. I think the meme value can only carry it so far, unfortunately. There is like a weird restriction going on in the way that you can even play this commander. It's really Really fascinating to use food, but these are not like necessarily hugely food-supported colors. It might end up being a new alternative for a Rakdos discard deck, though, if players are not as interested in Angie Falconrath, because that has also kind of devolved into being a bit more of a combo deck. This might be a more proper madness deck in Rakdos colors that players can use. So we also have to shout out as Marinica Mardica dies to removal. I, I I heard you say a word, and it sounded like super califragilistic expiali Rakdos, uh, <laughs> but I. I I didn't understand what you actually said. That it, it, it was about as much. Yep. <laughs> was I close? I, <laughs> closer was, than I would have gotten had I attempted to pronounce it. So <laughs> yes, Matt, you were close. <laughs> Okay, so brief overview of the commanders done. Those are some of the heavier hitters that we expect to uh, remember most in a year's time when we look back on this set, um, with a lot of definite potential between them as well. But now we're also going to talk about some of the cards that go into the 99. Again, we're not talking about all of the cards in the set. We're going to be confining ourselves to white, blue, and black for this review. So you know what? We're going to get right into it. And let's talk about that card that's probably on the tip of everyone's tongues, Esper Sentinel. So Esper Sentinel is a artifact creature it's a human and a soldier as well uh, for one white mana for a one one uh, and it reads whenever an opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn draw a card unless that player pays x mana where x is esper sentinel's power um i see in the show notes we have ristic buddy as the, uh, the <laughs> nickname for this card so kudos um cleverness abides here Rustic Buddy, I, I think that's a nice that's a nice nickname for this guy because it is mimicking do you pay the one whenever your opponents cast non-creature spells. This has gotten a ton of hubbub online going on because this is a card advantage source in white. And I think especially Ozgear players are looking really forward to making two copies of this artifact from their graveyard to get double up on those triggers. And the amount that opponents have to pay does scale up if this thing gets pumped up in any way. So there's a lot to be said about this one for sure. I kind of want to get your guys' feelings about it. Do you appreciate this card? Do you think it's like a new staple as has been claimed? Or Dana, where, where do you think you're at? I think every time a white creature comes up with the card with the words card draw on it, people go insane. And I think 99% of the time they're wrong. Oh. Um, I think people are terrible at evaluating white card draw staple the creatures for the most part. This one's quite good. Um, I think there's a lot of decks where it's really, really good. Like, you know, if you're playing Mono White Elish Norn, it's just going to be a colossal pain to play around. Or, um, you know, something like Heliod, where you're going to be able to bring it back as a as a 4-4. Or, you know, a, a, an equipment deck like like Arrend, where you're very, it's very easy to just throw stuff on it for no mana, and suddenly everyone's got to spend nine, or you draw cards. I think there's a bunch of decks where it's super powerful. I think there's plenty of decks where if it draws you one or two cards, that's pretty decent as well, or where the artifact component of it really matters also. I, I think staple's a strong word. I think something like Smothering Tithe is a staple because if you're playing white, Smothering Tithe is almost always a correct choice for your deck. I think there's plenty of situations where you have access to white where there's going to be better options. I think it's a very good card, and I think people went a little overboard on how good it is. Yeah, it's... 
I mean, it's like you said, Dana, it's a fine card. Uh, I'm sure plenty of people will find some spaces for it. Um, it's whenever an opponent casts their first non-creature spell each turn. Um, so there, it's capped. Like saying it's a Rhystic Study, uh, I, I don't agree with that, or, or Mystic Remora, anything. Um, but Joey did say uh, it does scale up, and I agree. Scale up with this card is very good because they have to pay six mana tax uh, <laughs> right. to, to, to cast their spells out getting a draw effect. I think it's fine. Like in creature-heavy decks... I, I think it'll be fine. It's it's a creature though, so it's it's very easy to interact. So you can play this, and then somebody just answers it immediately, and then they pay the tax. And yeah, it's an artifact creature, so it's the two most vulnerable creature types. Exactly. Yeah. So or it's, card it's, types. Excuse me. It's very very easy to get rid of. Uh, I would be worried about that. So if you have some way to like pump it up or protect it, sure. But I, I wouldn't count on getting a lot out of it because, I mean, it is one and it's very, very easy to get rid of. Yeah, Esper Sentinel strikes me as a step in the right direction, but not a stride in the right direction, if that makes any sense. Like, this is good, but it's relegated basically only to decks that do not include blue or black or green. And I have a feather deck that I'm still not even sure that I would necessarily play this card in. So there is, like, extra finesse that is required for this to be able to shine. Something like a Teshar deck, for example, that can get it back a whole bunch or take advantage of the fact that it's historic. So there's a lot of phrase to be had about it, but it doesn't quite achieve the level of super staple that I think a lot of the conversation online was making it out to be. Although I would much prefer something like this over a Smothering Tithe that is a super staple. Mm -hmm. Agreed. We just need we just need eight different versions of this. So like every, yes. <laughs> every deck can kind of have their own and you can mix and match. So this is, I agree, it's a really good start and we just need to see where we're at in a few years once we've gotten one of these per set. And particularly, we need to get like more of these per set and not for other colors to be making eight per set, as is often the case, including in this set. We'll talk about that in a future episode, maybe. Well, uh, up next here, we have Nykthos Exemplar, a four white white for a human soldier, a four six. Whenever you gain life, you may put that many plus one counters on each creature you control you may do this only once each turn. You know, it's a soldier, which is relevant. It's a 4-6, but that's just a lot of mana for what is essentially a worse version of Necropolis Regent, a card that didn't exactly tear EDH apart. What do you guys think of this one? Ugh. <laughs> really? Matt, you don't like this one? So, I mean, okay, so six mana is a lot for one creature. Uh, the fact that this doesn't trigger itself, it doesn't have lifelink built in. Um, it's like I love the effect, but I hate that it's so expensive. Like if this were green, it would cost three mana <laughs> and it would have lifelink and hexproof probably or something. But like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, like Dana pointed out, like Necropolis Regent is probably just better than this. Um, I, I hate that they're so safe with white design. Like if this even had lifelink on itself, I'd like it more, but six mana to not be able to trigger itself. Like I, I wish I liked this card more because I really want to. Wow. This is a super perfect example of an overly conservative white design and a card. I, I agree. I agree. So, I, I, I agree that there is a conservative uh, aspect to its design that they put some restrictions on this one. Like, it is not Archangel of Thune, which triggers on every instance of life gain. Sure. But Archangel of Thune is still only giving you one plus one counter for each of those. And also, Archangel of Thune, because it is a every instance of life gain situation, leads itself to infinite combos a little bit more regularly than maybe we all want. Particularly, though, this is a card that does excite me to play white. Like, this strikes me as being very, very good in a life gain deck because coupling this with a beacon of immortality sounds pretty darn good, y'all. It gives you a win condition in those life gain decks that sometimes struggle to find a win condition, maybe. 
So I'm, I'm on board with that that portion of it for sure. Yeah, like I, this this card doesn't make me go ugh the way that it does that it did for Matt. I totally get that. Like you know, there are tweaks that could have made this a little bit more you know a bit more exciting, but I still think it is exciting regardless. Like this is a payoff that allows you to choose when you will get the counters. That I'm still like. I appreciate this design, even if it is a lot of mana. Yeah, if this card were four mana for a two four with that effect, I'd like it a lot more. That's fair. But like I, the the fact that it, it can't trigger itself is the is the part of this card that I get hung up on. That's fair. But also beacon of immortality. That's a lot of counters. To, 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 it has no evasion though. It just you chump block it with all those. You'll have tokens. You'll have tokens. White white's good at tokens. Usually, we'll we'll be good. We'll be good. We'll, we'll make tokens. This card and needs so a lot them. of help, and I I think we're spinning our wheels on this one. It's it's uh, if I don't like it, then it's it's saying a lot. Tell us about our next white card, then. All right, we'll search the premises. Uh, it's a perfect card um, for all those green white enchantress decks you're going to be building out there, everyone. Um, for one, <laughs> three and a white for an enchantment. Uh, whenever a creature attacks you or a planeswalker you control, you investigate, which is, again, making those clues that you can pay two mana and sacrifice it to draw cards. Um, I think it's fine-ish, okay-ish. <laughs> it's, it's super okay. Yeah, four mana is a lot for this. Um, not to keep comparing stuff to green, but it wouldn't cost four mana in green. It would be one in a green or something. Um, and clues are really useful. I like them, but two mana is a lot to draw a card as well. Um, I think you probably need to have some extra synergy in your deck that cares about perhaps the amount of artifacts you control or something. It's really close. I'm probably going to try it out, but it's only fine. I, I, I don't like that it's fighting against a lot of other white kind of prison pieces either where yeah. it's making it hard to attack you with like ghostly prison effects or Norn's Annex. So the, the fact that you're making it hard to be attacked and then this rewards you for getting attacked. Um, I, I just think it goes against what white typically is trying to do in these types of situations. I think the best comparison to this one is probably the card Cunning Rhetoric from the Commander set previously, uh, the three-mana black enchantment that steals a card off the top of an opponent's deck whenever they attack you, and players are probably discovering pretty quickly that this is not the deterrent that they expect it to be, and it's also not the card advantage source that they want it to be either, because it gives opponents too much choice in that situation, so it's a card that we have to address here, but that still unfortunately doesn't excite us necessarily. Yeah, it's six mana before you draw your first card. Right. Right. What's going on in the rest of white? Um, Well, we have Sarah Emissary for eight mana, so four white, white, white for a seven, seven angel. Um, when it ETBs, you choose a card type, and you and creatures you control have protection from the chosen card type. So, you know, you have protection from creatures or instants or sorceries or whatever you pick, I suppose. Um, eight's a lot of mana. Um, but it costs angel... seven, Data. Seven. Sorry, seven. Seven's count. a lot of Learn mana. Count, friend. But angel decks like to play giant expensive angels so i mean this will be a casual all-star i would imagine you'll see it in a lot of kitchen table angel style decks and it's an interesting thing to do um it's a perfectly neat card that's what i will say it feels like a card that should have been in a pre-con yes where like maybe there's a lot of tribal synergy in it um but kind of like what you alluded to dana i think this is going to show up in more decks than will be on edh rec and uh, decks that we'll never ever see. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's going to be a, a kitchen table. Um, people who've never heard of EDH Rec or, or 
barely on social media, but they're, they're going to play this card because it's yeah. an angel. I, I think it's going to show up in more decks than um, we're going to be able to, to to anticipate. This is an exciting ability to me. Like, I want to try this out in my Yannette deck. Giving yourself protection from creatures means that you are giving your army unblockable. Like, the other modes of protection are not huge, necessarily. Like, if you get protection from sorceries, you stop a Blasphemous Act, which is nice. But the main mode, I expect, will be to allow your creatures to block and attack most freely, which is exciting, the seven mana is just a big ask for a, especially if you are building Angel Tribal, a, a tribe that already has a lot of other cards at that mana cost. So the next card we have here is Out of Time. That is an enchantment for one white white, and uh, it's kind of a board wipe, kind of. Um, when Out of Time enters the battlefield, you untap all creatures and then phase them out until Out of Time leaves the battlefield. Then you put a time counter on Out of Time for each creature phased out this way, and it also has Vanishing. So at the beginning of your upkeep, you remove one of those time counters, and then when you remove the last time counter, you sacrifice it. Uh, it's kind of a cool three-mana Wrath, but it's going to bring everything back. Um, I'm kind of curious what you guys think about it because I'm I'm not sure I really know how to evaluate this one. I I want to like this one. I want to like this one. Like if you get rid of 11 creatures, they're not coming back. Vanishing for 11 means it's just not coming back. But when they do come back, they're not even affected by summoning sickness, which means I feel like I'm just going to hurt hurt you. I'm going to play a Bane of Progress and get all my stuff back. And I feel like this answerable board wipe is just a tough sell, even if it is three mana. Yeah, I think it's a neat design because it deals with indestructible stuff as well. Um, uh, it's an enchantment board wipe, so you'd think Enchantress decks would like it, and maybe they will. But it feels like a card that I think is a lot of fun, and I'm glad someone made it, and I can't imagine where I would run it. I think I might consider slotting it into my Alila deck, um, being able to generate fairies off of that, which just adds basically another time counter to this. Um, it's interesting... But I, I'm also sure I'm not really understanding how to like slot this into any deck I have already. The the most notable part about this is that it would keep a commander phased out. The commander is not changing zones. So if you are annoyed by someone else's commanders across the field, this is a way that won't just like put it back into their command zone so they could replay it again. So that is a definitely noteworthy thing. So if there are problematic commanders in your meta, I can actually give this one a bit more of a thumbs up. But as it is, this is still a type of removal that given the fact that it's answerable, I think might not work out as nicely as we want it to be when white is already so good at much more permanent solutions. Yeah, agreed. I, I agree. All right. What do we got next here? Oh, we've got a free spell. Solitude. Solitude, a five mana creature elemental incarnation with flash and lifelink that can evoke itself for free if you exile a white card from your hand, which means it would immediately sacrifice itself. But the important part here is that when it enters the battlefield, it swords to plowshares is something, which is a pretty nice effect. I think we're probably all in agreement, though, that this seems like a blink card for sure. Yeah, fantastic in one of those blink decks. Absolutely. Well, and even if it's just an emergency blocker, like you, you, you pay the five, it has flash itself and lifelink. So you flash it in, you exile their biggest creature, you block the second biggest creature and gain a little bit of life. Like that's not a bad worst case scenario if you're, you know, playing it in those types of decks. And then, I mean, free spell is going to free spell, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, outside of that environment. Yeah. Like if I'm playing an Azorius deck where I already have access to swords and path and Pongify and hybridization and reality shift that are always going to get the job done without requiring me to pitch a white card. Do I care about this? Probably not. I think it definitely has to be in a deck where you abuse it, but in a deck where you can abuse it, it's mm -hmm. fantastic. Right. This becomes a great source of removal in those blink style decks, or maybe even white inclusive reanimator decks. But outside of that, I'm not sure that we'll see it as much. So cool design though. Like I actually quite like those, those, those cycle of things there and abusing this ability is 
a pretty cool thing to be able to see. That was a whole bunch on white, but we've still got two other colors to tackle. So, uh, Dana, how about you move us right on to blue? Because I feel like there's some cards here that speak to you. Um, sure. Yeah, we have Fractured Sanity for, for blue, blue, blue for a sorcery. Each opponent mills 14 cards, which is a decent chunk of your library. Um, you can cycle it for one of the blue to draw a card, and when you cycle Fractured Sanity, each opponent mills four cards. That's uh, going to be a card that will probably go into almost any mill deck. Well, and, and Dana, it, it does say each opponent as well. So yeah. one thing that we've kind of talked about on episodes of like the math behind mill um, is that a lot of times it's just targeting one opponent. This is each opponent for 14 cards. So this, this is one of those cards that we have talked about scales very, very well into a multiplayer format. Um, if you're hitting three people for 14 cards, that's a pretty good rate for three mana. And then, I mean, it's an emergency cycle it away. Um, I like this card, um, but I mean, mill decks are kind of a known quantity at this point, too. Yeah, we just have to shout this out and this one out for like Phoenix is going to love it and Bruvac is really going to love to double up. that. So expect to see this one in a very specific archetype, but a relevant one nonetheless. Oh, and uh, Dana, here's a card that I definitely know that you're excited for. Rise and Shine, which I believe was the Command Zones preview card for this set. A two-mana sorcery that animates one of your non-creature artifacts and gives it a bunch of plus one, plus one counters on it, but that you can overload to hit all of your non-creature artifacts, animate all of them, and make them all four fours. Do you have an artifact deck? I feel like I might build an artifact deck out of this one. This seems like a really stellar finisher. Yeah, I mean, you're going to probably only overload it for the most part. There's not much point to doing it on one creature. Um, the problem in the past with these effects, like March of the Machines, for example, is an enchantment that animates your artifacts, but it gives them power and toughness equal to their CMC. So your treasures do nothing. Mm-hmm. Your artifact lands do nothing. They they die. They, they do worse than nothing. They're no longer there. Um, And it does it for everyone in case of March of the Machines. So like anything that you turn into a creature, there's a decent chance that everyone else's unused mana rocks are there available as blockers as well. This gets around that. It it, it makes all of your things um, into four fours functionally. Those counters stick around um, in case you have a way to to do it again and cast it, in which case they become eight eights. Um, It turns those treasures into four fours as well. They don't go away. Your lands don't go away. there's just a there's a lot of things about this that are really really strong in the right deck. Yeah, this is a game winning card. Like mm-hmm. if you spend some time to establish and overload this, um, you you just win. Like you you build an army of four fours and, and swing for the victory. Uh, it's I, I'm not sure anybody's ever going to cast it for the for the regular cost. Um, it's just going to be a setup and then overload for the win type of card. And I man, it's it's going to do some work. And supported by the other cards in this set, too. There are some other artifact affinity cards that we're seeing here that I feel like will also gently nudge themselves into a lot of artifact decks, too, like Thought Monitor, which is a 7-mana 2-2 with flying that draws you two cards when it enters, but it's got affinity for artifacts, which means that this is effectively a thought cast on a creature that you can blink or reanimate. Like, Dana, you got to be just watering at the mouth for this one, too. You don't even need to blink or reanimate it. Like, if you're playing the kind of deck that would want to run this, an artifact deck, like whether it's my Vela deck or a Brea deck or an Urza deck, this is just going to be a one mana draw two and leave behind a two two with flying. Like, it's going to be a much better Mull Drifter in any of those decks. It's an excellent card in an artifact themed deck for sure. And it, it just amazing. So it, it's, it doesn't look flashy, but like, 
in those decks, whenever you draw it, you're going to feel like Hercules. And so, so it's a Dana card. It's not flashy, but it just gets the job done, plain and simple. Yeah. yeah. I think it's. I think these are very flashy. I mean, one of the cards we talked about is literally Rise and Shine. It's shining. It's flashy. <laughs> so, mm. Matt, how about you? What's a blue card that jumps out to you from the set? Um, so a couple, actually. Inevitable Betrayal, I really actually kind of like. At worst, it's kind of a three-mana slow bribery, and bribery is already just a perfectly fine card. It was kind of priced out of a lot of decks, but if you're playing any cast type of silliness um you uh, rush me I, I know is kind of a crazy simic commander but rushman will probably love inevitable betrayal just being able to search your opponent's libraries for creatures and put on the battlefield under your control and they shuffle um plain simple and, and pretty straightforward uh, and then murktide regent just this card just seems absolutely silly to me like i don't know what deck wants it but like the decks that do want this are just going to go crazy because as we know Delve is also a very safe mechanic along with Storm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Murktide Regent, a 7 mana dragon, 3-3 three, three with Delve flying. It enters the battlefield with a plus 1 counter on it for each instant and sorcery card that you exiled with it while you were delving and whenever instant or sorceries leave your graveyard it gets plus 1 counters as well. I am very surprised to hear that this is a card that intrigues you. First of all because it's blue and who are you? What have you done with Matt Morgan? But also... <laughs> Like, I don't know. This doesn't strike me as a huge spell slingery type of payoff. Where are you planning to try it? I, if, if I had a different commander that didn't want instants and sorceries in, specifically in the graveyard, like I do with my real deck, I would probably consider it there. Like this thing just, there's going to be too many ways to get this so big. And you don't even have to exile cards out of your graveyard. Like, you don't have to delve them. You don't have to flash them back. Like if you shuffle instants and sorceries back into your graveyard, those all trigger Merktide Regent. Like there's, there's going to be some weird deck out there that's just going to be able to like turn this into a 10-10 instantly, and then just start keeping it growing. Um, I just, I think the potential is there. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know where this goes, but like this is just such a powerful card on its own. I'm really curious to see what this shows up in. Interesting. And, and I want to circle right back to the inevitable betrayal card as well, because mm -hmm. I think there's a very interesting conversation to be had here about the nature of cascade decks, because this is the type of card since it has no mana cost, you can't actually cast it, you can only suspend it. But if you cascade with something that costs like one mana, for instance, it will definitely hit the zero mana spell that you're able to then cast. These are tricky, though, like cascade decks I feel like I actually want to minimize the number of spells that they're actually playing that you can cascade into for zero mana. That way it's less variance. They'll just always hit the one key spell. So I'm wondering if compared to all of the other spells out there, this one manages to make the cut in those types of decks. My instinct is that that might be a type of situation that this is a little bit harder to maneuver. I mean, I, I think the upside is there. Like you can go into ancestral vision where you're going to get to draw three cards in the similar type of card. Um, or you're just going to be able to like steal their their biggest creature, which sometimes is going to be better than three cards. It might even draw you three cards and get a creature. Like if you're stealing <laughs> Dana's um, artifact, what is it? The the thought monitor, like oh. you're or two cards, whatever. You're drawing cards and getting a body. Um, I think this is just a really neat card. You know, that, that's fair. And I suppose suspending it isn't the worst thing in the world. But, you know, a cheaper bribery, I can get on board with. I don't know if I'll end up using it, but I can certainly respect the idea. And the name is God Tier on a memetic level. Like, absolutely, absolutely great. So real quick, before we move on to the last and best color, um, which is black, that we'll be discussing in this episode, we've just compared, uh, we've just gone through a bunch of white cards and then a bunch of blue cards. Real quick, how are we feeling about how each of those colors has done? Like, are we more impressed with the white cards? Are we more impressed with what another color is up to? I just kind of want to get a feel about 
you know, how those colors are doing in this set. I think the blue has failed fared better than a white, which is traditionally true of any color when paired against white for the most mm. part. Um, I, I think white has really made some strides in the last year-ish or so in terms of commander cards. Um, but this feels a little bit like a set that was perhaps designed with white in mind prior to the changes they've made for um, commander viability. It feels like something, the white cards were something we would have looked at a year or a year and a half ago um, versus some of the things we've seen in the last year. And Matt, what do you think? Uh, I tend to agree. Like, it, it's nice that white's getting some some new things. Um, they're playing around with a little bit of space. I just, I mean, my, my complaint with Nykthos Exemplar kind of applies to a lot of the white cards. Like, I just wish they weren't playing it so safe because even like even if Smothering Tide, they, they did maybe push it a little bit. Um, it's also not breaking anything. It's just a, an extremely powerful card but other colors have other extremely powerful cards as well. Like it's, I, I, mm. I just think that white was a little reserved. Blue has some interesting things. Like I, I like the space. Like uh, Rise and Shine is just a, a very cool card that also just happens to be very powerful. Um, I like that they're kind of scaling mill to kind of fix those issues there. So they're doing some cool things in both in both of the colors. Just, I, I wish they weren't as reserved with what they're doing in white. I think that that's fair. I, I do think that white, in a way, kind of fared a little bit better. Um, not a lot a bit better. White, I think, was gesturing towards some more general applicability. And blue, the most impactful card, seemed to be very niche in particular. Like, this is definitely a card for mill. This is definitely a card for artifact decks. Um, and white does have cards that might be a bit more generally applicable, which is nice, but also, I think, speaks to the fact that white probably is in a position where it needs more generally applicable cards. So, again, it's mm. a situation of steps, not strides. But that is a, a comparison to make for me, is that the blue cards seem to be more niche application than the other ones we've seen so far. I mean, it, it stinks to me that late to dinner is a common and might be one of the most played white cards to me, which you can just grab a creature from your graveyard and put on the battlefield and then you make a food token. But like for four mana, like it's fine, but like that might be one of the most played white cards. I don't think that's Ish. true at all. Come on. All right. Well, you know what? You just named a reanim uh, reanimator effect right there, a card that gets something out of the graveyard and then puts it right back into play. So let's tackle black real quick. And I'm not kidding. This will actually be one of the faster parts of the segment uh, because black is dealing with a lot of reanimator stuff. And the most impactful cards from black do seem to be along the reanimator lines because you've got a new version of Entomb, which is called Unmarked Grave to get a non-legendary card right into your graveyard. There's also a card called Persist, which returns a non-legendary creature from your graveyard to the battlefield with a minus one, minus one counter on it. There's also a, a creature that can entomb in this set called Vile Entomber and a young necromancer, which is a creature that can reanimate stuff. As the resident reanimator player, I am loving this. This is a lot of attention towards reanimation. Again, it's kind of niche compared to like all the stuff that Black can do, but these cards are giving me life and death. Yeah, I think the biggest problem with all these cards, and they're all very, very good and very, very interesting, is they're competing with um, maybe slightly better versions of these cards that already exist. Um, so it's going to be a matter of not whether or not they're good, but whether or not you can find room for them in your deck that's looking to do those, those things that may already have existing versions of these effects. Okay, so Dana, 
I, I do hear you on that, but I want more. I, I just want more. And, and, and specifically, like, this is a, a potentially, I don't know if it will end up being budget, let's be real, but like some of these could be budget versions of other much more expensive cards in this genre. You know, Entomb is a very expensive card to get, for example, so having cheaper versions of that can open up the strategy to more players, which everyone should be playing the strategy. It should be available to all people. Reanimator's the best. But more specifically, I actually really want to linger on the card Young Necromancer, because Young Necromancer is a creature that you have to exile two cards from your graveyard, but then you can return another creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. That is not an effect that we see on creature cards very often. And that is really important for the reanimator strategy to be able to tutor that out from your deck, for example. Usually we only get that effect on spells. This card actually opens up a door that I don't think we all realized was shut for so long. It also has a bit of a cap on it in that you will eventually run out of things in your graveyard, probably, that you can exile for the effect. So it's strong and you can reuse it, but there's also kind of a speed bump baked in so it can only do so much, which is something I also like. Like, you can abuse it, but you can only abuse it so much. Indeed. Yeah, I just, the, Black is all about reanimator in the set, and some of the other bigger creatures in the set also involve being reanimated, but, like, this is the core of what's going on here, and I'm absolutely over the moon about it. And, and hey, it's a super flavor win, too. Like, I didn't know Young Pyromancer was part of a cycle, but apparently that is now after six years. <laughs> and, and even Persist is super cool. Like, it's a throwback to the mechanic from Lorwyn, and it's very clearly a Lorwyn-based card. Um, they, they went all out on the little details on these cards as well. So, like, they're effective, and they're just super fun. Well, so, guys, I, I know that you're very excited about reanimators stuff um, in this set, but there are more black cards than just reanimation things. Um, so yeah, there's, there's also Profane Tutor, which is a card that a lot of people seem to be pretty excited about. Um, it's a sorcery with Suspend 2 for one and a black, uh, where you exile it and it gets to those two time counters. And once it resolves, you search your library for a card and you put that card into your hand and you shuffle your library. Um, it has no cost, so it's another one of those Suspend cards in the cycle. Um, what are you folks thinking about? Because I'm not super keen on it, but I, like I said, a lot of people seem to be excited. So, so I think there's an interesting psychological thing going on here. I think when someone casts a demonic tutor, you wonder what they went to go get, but that's kind of it. Like, okay, you're, you're ready for it. Like, is something degenerate going to happen? And if it doesn't immediately, you're like, okay, they went and got a land or they went and got a draw engine or whatever. I feel like this is going to set up this thing where you're like, in three turns, something crazy is going to happen. I need to kill this person before they can do their crazy thing. Mm. I, I think waiting a long time for your tutor isn't a lot of fun either. It doesn't function to solve a problem immediately. Like, I run demonic tutors in plenty of decks, none of which are going to combo. It's almost always to go get an answer to a problem. This doesn't do that. So for the most part, it's only going to function as, as a way to go get your game-winning um, piece, and that's going to bring a lot of heat onto you, I think, in a way that maybe other tutors don't. That strikes me as a pretty fair analysis. The delay on an effect like a tutor is a much bigger price to pay than a suspend effect on other types of cards. Like a, a tutor tends to be the thing that you need probably right this second. So the cost here is, it turns out, pretty significant. This isn't a card that I would make room for personally. Yeah, e even in Cascade decks that are finding ways to cast this for free, like why why would you want to cast this to tutor for something when you can just cast something big to begin with so i i i don't know like i like i said i'm not, i'm kind of lukewarm on it it's fine if you want to budget demonic tutor um but at the same time like what are you tutoring tutoring for in two turns that you might need now right yeah so a, a lot of strings attached to this one and guys to round things out 
Uh, Matt, let's throw this one in because I, I know that you like it. It's technically a multicolored card, which is maybe outside the bounds of this, but there is a card called Damn in this set. <laughs> and and Matt, I know you really like it. So let's end on a high note. I do I do really like this card. This card is is pretty nifty. So Damn is is black black for a sorcery that says destroy target creature. Uh, a creature destroyed this way can't be regenerated and also has overload where you turn it into basically Wrath of God, um, which is destroy all creatures and then they can't be regenerated. Um, it's, it, I like just the flavor of this card, um, from damnation to wrath of God, uh, but also it's just super flexible. Like it's, it's a kill spell for two mana, like sorcery speed does stink. But again, with a lot of these cards that have this type of flexibility, you're usually sacrificing on something. And just if this were instant speed, this would be a little too powerful. Absolutely way too powerful. But like if you're in black, white, this is a damnation and a wrath of God that also has flexibility. I mean, Damn. Yeah, I, I like the design a lot. I also don't know if I run it in any deck. I think Merciless Eviction and Austere Commands flexibility are super good. I think if you want efficiency, there's Toxic Deluge. I think if you are going like five or six deep on board wipes, I absolutely run it. I think if you're only going three, I don't know if I do. But I think it's a super clever design, and I'm really glad they made it. Indeed. yeah. I, I, so that, like, we, we mentioned, like, feelings about blue and about white earlier, and now looking at black, I think that that is one of the, the issues that maybe is most prone for this color with the cards that we got from this set, is that the cards that we've got in black definitely are playing a competition game with other cards in its color that are already treading a lot of the same ground. So that is a thing to be aware of when you're looking at black cards from Modern Horizons 2, is that a lot of them seem to be budging up against and maybe just losing out to other cards that are already kind of more established and that might mean that they may or may not end up within the 99 after all yeah that's a pretty succinct way to wrap that up joey for sure but also that reanimator <laughs> is the best so okay real quick as a quick parting note there have been some really impressive reprints from the set too which i feel like we just absolutely have to shout out so before we go i know that these aren't original cards from the set but y'all there's got to be reprints that you're excited about here too yeah I mean, Patriarch's bidding has gotten really expensive over the years. Uh, any tribal deck playing black probably wants Patriarch's bidding, so they're pro they're probably just absolutely jazzed to see that card. Consumer with Cabal Coffers, like it's, it's been a card people have been upset about for years and years, and I don't think it at Mythic is going to put a huge dent in the price, but it's going to help, and I think any help is is something we desperately need for how pricey that card is. So I'm glad to see that one showing up for sure. Yeah, I love that you guys both picked black aligned cards <laughs> for your, your choices here. Yes, very <laughs> to join the dark side. It's so good. We we, we can't not address the fact that the fetch lands yep. are getting a reprint here. Yep. Uh, yep. Matt, to gesture uh, a gesture of good faith here about Selesnia reprints like Marari's Wake and Sterling Grove. I mean, come on. Marari's Wake is, is another very welcome reprint and putting that into modern. Um, I'm very curious to how that works out. Yeah. Oh, and there's a red card. I don't play a whole bunch of red, but Imperial Recruiter, also a, a phenomenal reprint here. So like this reprint game is the type of thing that I really love seeing from any type of set. Like this is the type of thing that gets me very, very excited when it comes to reprints. Like more of this, please, Wizards. Heck yeah. I, I think with a lot of these super hyper valuable reprints, um, a lot of the new cards uh, that aren't meant for modern, you know, a lot of these commander plants probably going to be fairly affordable to get to. Like, I, I think that kind of what we've seen in the past few years is like the, all the alt edition uh, versions of cards, whatever, um, have made the base versions of a lot of cards fairly affordable. And I think that's going to continue here because like something 
if, if not, not every card can be worth $50 in this set, um, which means a lot of cards are going to be fairly cheap. Yeah, I think you, you have two factors. You, you have the alt versions that are going to drive prices down, and you have the fact that this set is just so stacked. There can only be so many like $10, $15, $20 cards that there's going to be some really, really good things whose price is going to be rendered affordable just because there's only so much value they can jam into an individual box. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely into it. And we're not actually done. We still have red cards to discuss, some artifacts to discuss, and lands to discuss, and a whole bunch of green cards to discuss as well. But so far, taking the temperature in the room, Matt seems like we've got a, a tentative optimism about Modern Horizons, or maybe a more exuberant optimism about Modern Horizons too. I mean, it, it's it's a great set altogether. Like even the cards that were kind of lukewarm on, like they're still going to get played. Uh, the, I mean, this set is just silly. It's absolutely silly, and in, in a good way. Yeah, it, okay. it, it's unbelievably fun. Like even the cards that I didn't love or, or anything, there's so many flavor wins and throwbacks and finding ways to make mediocre mechanics like converge into actually very interesting good mechanics or bringing back stuff like Living Weapon that we'll talk about probably on next week's show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the most fun set I've seen in a long time for me in just, just in terms of like how much I've enjoyed reading the cards. It's just been a delight. I, I just can't wait until Matt manages to pull off that classic line, curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> I mean, we know we know what's going to happen. It's inevitable. Well, that's all we've got for this episode. We'll be talking about the other cards from Modern Horizons 2 in a future episode. So look forward to that review and what we have to say about all of the red and the green and the multicolored and some artifact cards and lands happening. For the, God, there's so much happening in this set. But that means I think that this episode probably has to be called to a close. So, fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us? Matt. So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, we are streaming Wednesday evenings. Um, the games are always super, super fun. So make sure you tune in because it's it's just a treat. And Dana. You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. You can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central, and write articles once a month for both EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDH Retcast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast, and they go to our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC or by visiting CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC to show your support for the show. EDHREC is also always looking for new writers. If you have an innovative idea for an article series and want to join our team of writers, you can submit your article pitch at edhrec.com slash apply, or you can email apply at edhrec.com. And don't forget, you can now go to altersleeves.com slash edhreccast and find our own custom alter sleeves so you can play your decks in style while also supporting the show. And we've got a Patreon exclusive alter sleeve as well. We will be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>